for all you introverts, that connection time is over. You don't, you don't, you don't have to do it again. So. But we're glad you're here. At this moment, so if you've got your green card, which you mentioned, if you've got a prayer request, a need on there, and that's filled out, we're going to drop those into the offering as that's getting ready to pass. We pray for those every week. Uh, and I love the persistence that many of you are asking for the same things again and again and again. I want to encourage you now. I'm not happy to see the same needs because I would love to see breakthrough. But Jesus taught us that not to lose heart and to pray with persistence. So write that same prayer request down again. Ask again. Ask again for that need for your family, for your son, for the relationships in your family, whatever it is. Ask again and allow us to continue to leverage our faith for the long haul with you until God breaks in. And so, again, so continue to put them down. Continue to write down those impossible things that you might even feel are impossible for God to answer. But yet, leverage it with a community who will continue to pray for those. And so, we give you that chance and to drop those into the, into the offering plate. I don't know if you guys get the email. You can get on, they have all the public ones. You can pray with those on Tuesdays. I love reading every prayer request and praying for those with our team. We pray through everyone. So, also, this is our chance, too, to thank God for his provision, for his goodness, for all the resources that he has stewarded to us, that we could leverage those for his good in this world. And so if you've come prepared to be able to give in that way, we're going to receive that. You can drop the green card or your offering into the plate. If, if you haven't, you can give online, you can text, you can do all of those things. So uh, let me give thanks for this, and the ushers are going to come, and they'll receive this. So God, thank you for your provision. I thank you that you, you meet every need in this world and the needs that even we come in with and we might even be scared about, that we might even, you meet those. And so God, we trust you or we want to trust you. And so God, we pray your kingdom would come. We pray for the flourishing of the families here, God, of the city, of our country, and of the nations. Let them flourish, God, by your goodness. And would you multiply, God, what is provided that we could use it for your kingdom work. Amen. So the ushers are going to pass the plate through there. And we've been singing. We sing the doxology. It's a, it's a song that just continually reminds us to praise God during all of this. So would you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So I'm glad you're with us. Over the month of August, we step into a teaching called Dreams and Dialogue. Um, this is a series that's built upon listening to God. We try to do it as a community. It's built on us inclining our ear to the Father who speaks to us. Call us crazy, call us fanatics, call us mystics, but we believe one thing intensely here, that God speaks to us. And not just to those who are deemed elder or pastor or religious. He speaks to us all. 
Just last week. How many, I don't know if you were here, and Nate led us through a little practice of listening to the scriptures of Psalm 23. I had a guy who came in for the first time, and he said this, it's been 10 years since I walked into a church. 10 years, right? And he said, I heard God speak to me. Right? And so, it's our, it's our birthright where God speaks and if it's been a long time since you've heard the voice of God, let us, in, let us encourage you. Um, God longs to speak to you. He loves you. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to know him. And if you're struggling to hear and discern, it's not because you're not good enough or you're not holy enough or you're not smart enough. It just takes some practice. It takes some quiet. And sometimes it just takes a little time but believe us that God wants to speak to you into your life and into our things. And so this series is about God speaking to us. Um, it's built around some time, it's built around some content that we asked you guys all to give us. We did this survey called the Jesus Journey Survey. A f some friend of ours, Gary Best, who's a good friend of ours and a team, put together this beautiful survey. And we had about 140 of you filled out the survey. And so part of the Dreams Dialogue is going to tie into that. Part was going to tie into a time where the elders and pastors got away for a weekend and we listened and we discerned from the Lord what he sensed he was saying to us. And so we're going to begin to be sharing these with you, not as a a way of saying, here's what we've heard, or here's what it is, but we want you to discern with us. We want your voice in this. We want your feedback in this to affirm with us what we're hearing. And we also want you to join us on the Dreams and Dialogue weekend on that Saturday, August the 25th, from 3 to 6 p.m., because that will be the biggest dialogue time that we have this summer. That for your voice, for your input, for you to be sharing what you're hearing on Saturday, 3 to 6, August the 25th. Now, when we put this out, we gave this information, we want you there. If you call Genesis home, we want you there on Saturday, August the 25th. If that means coming home early from vacation, so be it. You've heard it, mark your calendar, uh, but we want you there. And if you can make room for that three hours on the Saturday to be with us, and then on that Sunday to be with us as well, and over this month, we'd love it. Sound good? So today, I'm going to give you... Kind of a lot of information, and I'm going to put two questions out there for you to be discerning. Right? That's what today is going to be about. It's going to be about what we've heard, and I have two questions in response to what we're hearing from God. And these questions are the ones that I want to submit into your hands and to ask you to help us. Because we can not answer or move towards these things without every one of us doing it. So that's my little setup. Here's where we begin. A year ago when we did this Dreams and Dialogue, we came together and we sensed the Lord was saying something to us very specifically from Ephesians 3.20. And you know what? We don't believe God's saying anything different. We think the emphasis of our community is still Ephesians 3.20. So I've taken Ephesians 3.20 and I've just sort of pulled it a little bit differently. But here's what this text says. That it, it reminds us that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. God is able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work in us. That's what we sense the Lord was inviting us. And we, we engaged in a series of more, where we sense about encountering more of God's spirit and power. 
And we sense that the Lord is not moving us away from this emphasis for this year. We're, we're staying there. We think that this is still what he's inviting us to emphasize as a community. This is what he's wanting to say to us. I am able to do way more, immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine by my power that's at work within you. And so we're going to remain there. But we think that he's added a little bit of color for us to be living into that text over this year. And we want to add that. Um, can anybody in here state the vision of Genesis? <laughs> thank, you, thank you, Jim, for the cricket noise. He is the master of the cricket noise. Right? So that tells us a couple of things. One, um, it's not memorable. <laughs> Right? Um, and, and, and maybe it's not speaking so um, meaningfully to our lives. But the vision is this, that we would see the kingdom of God come alive. Now, it's really religious sounding, right? But you know what the, what the kingdom of God coming alive, it looks like? This morning, when Rose is sharing about her son and his seizures, and Jesse pops in, and we pray for Jesse, for the kingdom to come alive would be as we continue to pray and ask for God to leverage and to move on Jesse's behalf, that Jesse would be healed. That's the kingdom of God. God's original intent for humanity, for creation, for the flourishing of all, that for God's intent, his goodwill to actually to happen in people's lives and in the world. That's what the kingdom looks like. When Jesus healed this demon-possessed boy, he said, you've seen the kingdom of God. You've seen the finger of God, the kingdom of God at work in that. That's the kingdom of God coming alive. And so we long to see what God's intent for restoration and wholeness come to be. That's why we exist. That's our why. And how we do this, so our statement is to see the kingdom of God come alive by loving God, making disciples, serving the world. That how is illustrated really simply. We actually have a, a, a symbol that illustrates this how we want to live as a people. It's a simple three-sided tool called a triangle, right? That we want to love God. We love God because he loved us. This is the up, right? So we want to live this vision out by loving God. And this is not what we do. This is how we respond to God who's first loved us. We want to love God. That's the ups about our relationship to the Father, to the, actually to the Holy Spirit and to the Son. Then we have the in. This is what our vision looks like, that we want to live in community. We want to love one another. We want to invest in intentional relationships. We want to be like family where you're known and you're loved. This is not just about individuals coming together and hearing good truths about God, about how to make your life better than leave. This is about a group of people coming together, building family and living together in community. That's the end. It's about having an extended family of people. And we know that that's crucial. Our vision is to, that's about making disciples, building family, being together. And we want to live out that vision by the out. The outward impulse of the church. And the out looks like this. It looks like us serving the broken world. Reaching out with compassions and concerns. 
This is what our vision looks like in an illustration of how we want to see the kingdom of God come alive. Through living this balanced life of worshiping the Father, loving God because he first loved us, by investing intentionally in relationships, being known, being authentic, pulling together, eating meals together, and then the out, serving the broken world. That is, that's, that's, our, that's our vision. And we long to do this. And you can see this in the life of Jesus. You can see this in, in texts like Micah 6, 8, where it says, uh, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? And so Micah 6, 8 lays it out, right? For the Lord said, hey, here's what, here's what God would want for you. For you to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God is the up. To love kindness is the end, or mercy. And to do justice in the world is the out. Jesus said this, what are the two great commandments that are really one? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two great commandments. They're all summed up to this. That's our vision, right? That's who we want to be. That's how we want to do it. Um, and so this is what we're invited to do. Now, as we hear that and as we pause, we think that God was giving us some clarity. So I'm going to give you the statement that the elders wrote for one of the weeks, for, for, for this one of the statements that we sense the Lord's inviting us to emphasize as we continue to ask more and believe that God wants to do more. So that he was actually pulling our hearts in these directions towards the out and the in. Here's the statement. It's under the heading of caring for the marginalized. It says this. Because God first loved us, our response is to live and care for the marginalized and to be a light in the dark world together. That, that's a statement that we sense the Lord is inviting us to take more seriously as we live into the more. Because God first loved us, our response is to live and care for the marginalized and to be a light in the dark world together. And so here's our acknowledgments. We acknowledge that the oppressed, lonely, and those lacking justice are all around us. Right in here. And all around us in the world. The oppressed, lonely, and those who are lacking justice. And so we seek and make space for and take in the marginalized. Those are big statements. And we sense the Lord is wanting to turn our heart in that way. And so today it's really about caring for the marginalized. That's what we sense that we're being invited to do. This is the more, measurably more, that God wants to do within us, we believe is, is sort of pivotal for us caring for the marginalized. And this has two facets, the marginalized among us and the marginalized outside of us. The marginalized among us is in our inn, in our own family who are here who are feeling marginalized, and the marginalized outside of our community who are all around, that we're being invited to be Jesus and to have our eyes open and welcome to the marginalized. One of the things we've been working on as a community, and we say what distinguishes us as Genesis is a community of people whom God has brought together, like-minded people from all sorts, but we said the one thing that distinguishes us in this time, in this space, this community is this, our niche. That we, are, uh, that we are being an inclusive community. Including. Including people who are far from God, who Jesus is pursuing to come near to him. 
Jesus was incredibly inclusive. He was so inclusive that the religious had such a hard time with it and they questioned him. Why are you hanging out with those people? Why are they with you? Why do you spend so much time with them? That was their response. And so we feel that this is at the heart of Jesus, of being an inclusive. People's our niche. And so we, we encourage us and affirm us that, we're, that Jesus is inviting us to be those types of people. But yet we think that in us doing this, we have some gaps. And I want to share those with us. About caring for the marginalized and being an inclusive people among us. We have some gaps. We did this Jesus Journey survey, and I want to share a few things with you about our survey. Who in here loves data? I will send you the 36-page data report. Anybody who wants to read through this and look at the data, it's yours. The rest of you, you'll say, thank you for not sharing the 36 pages of data, right? But if you want it, it's yours. It's beautiful information. But here's a few things, and I want to share things about our demographics. These matter. Here's a few things about our demographics that caught our attention. These are things that show our culture. They show the mainstream of our community, and they show those who are on the margins of our community, and how we can have our eyes open to those who are on the margins. Because those on the mainstream will feel very comfortable, but those on the margins will not. And so here's some data that will speak to this. Our primary age groups, if you looked around, what do you think is the primary ages of Genesis to church? Thirties to forties. Between thirties and forties, that's a fifty year age group, it's fifty seven. Oh, was it already up there? <laughs> that's okay, Emad, you can you can do the reveals, right? I was like, wow, somebody is like really good, you know? <laughs> Right, that, that's, our, that's our primary age group, right? That's what 57% of our community, of the 140 who took this survey, right? But, uh, our 57% is, is in that age group, right? And so there's some others. Our, our 20s had about 6%, and their 50s had about 10%, and the 60s and 70s had like 20%. So it's just, cru- it's just interesting, interesting information, that the majority of people is 30s and 40s are those. Uh, 80% of our community, 80 of the 140 are married. That's the mainstream, right? They're married. 50% have kids. And 50% do not. Of the 140 who took the survey. Uh, another stat there's, that's in here, um, 7% have experienced divorce, or even going through it right now, right? They're on the margin, knowing the, the weight and the pain of that. 9% are single. Because um, we said 80 were married. Um, there are people who are in relationships but not married, right? Or who are so. But 9% are saying, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm single. The other part is of race. We are 93% white of the 140 who took the survey. So here, here's something that, just a statistical thing. In order for someone to feel safe within a demographic, um, typically it takes 10%. 10% to, just to feel, to feel 
I don't know, safe, right? And this doesn't fit all, all things. It takes 10%. That's just helpful to kind of know, right? As you kind of look around and you say, well, am I safe here? Will I be acknowledged? Will I be welcomed? Will, can I be a part of the inn if I'm, if I'm different? If I don't hit the median age, if I'm not married, if I'm not of the same race, if I have different beliefs, if I have different sexual orientation, am I welcome to be? Right? These, are, these are all things that people who are outside of the mainstream and the margin, as we talked about, will be experiencing. It takes 10% in order for people to feel safe. And so, as you know, we have other people of other races. We have, you know, those survey 7% of other races. And if they're here, it just means, man, they are willing. They are willing to, um, they're the early adopters. They're willing to embrace that tension in order to be a part they're willing to be uncomfortable in order to step in. It's of a great cost to them. And those of us who are in the mainstream cannot understand it because we don't know anything different of what it's like to be on that margin. And those the margins are those who are single, of other races, and of those who are divorced, experiencing those hardships. There's other margins of that is economic stuff too. So here's the question when we read these stats, especially when it comes to some of these things of our demographics, and, and, and one of them was really about our race, right? The big question that you have to ask is saying, are we okay with these demographics? Are we okay with them? Is this is what we are aiming for? Is this who we are? Now, I'm not going to make you give a vote and answer. I'm just going to say as pastor of the church that I'm not okay with the demographics. So no, I'm not okay with this. We are not okay with that. And so the question, you, you, I mean, you can't say, well, gosh, how do we attract more races? And how do you do that? And that's the wrong question. But the million-dollar question is this. How do we be more welcoming? That's the question. Oh, oh you know, and you know who the we are in that? It's not our meet-and-greet team. Would, would everybody raise your hand? You are the we. How do we become more welcoming? How do we be, and I think we're a welcoming community, but how do we be more welcoming to those on the margins who may step in and say, I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe in, in a predominantly white evangelical church or whatever they might consider us. I don't think many may call, I don't know what people call us. I don't know, right? Or a, a church, right? I don't feel safe, right? And, and um, we can't overcome all of those hurdles, but we can be a community that continues to live into, but here's, that's, that's the question. So here's what I want you to do. Take two minutes, turn to the person next to you, and, and, and share, hey, what, what helps you feel safe when you step into a, a new environment? Take two minutes, share that with the person next to you. What helps you feel safe?
Okay. What, what were some of the comments? Somebody want to shout out a few things? Laughter. Laughter? Knowing them? Or knowing somebody there. Oh, yeah. Knowing what to expect, yeah. Friendly. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. And so as we lean into this and we look at our demographic and we sense that the Lord is inviting us of saying, hey, I want to do immeasurably more than you could ask or desire by my power within you, we, think this, we, we believe strongly this is going to have to do with all of us going together and us being a much more diverse community. We reflect the fullness of the kingdom of God and what he's wanting to do within us will display the richness of God's family the more diverse we are, the more beautiful we are. But it definitely, makes us, it definitely makes it more difficult, right? But it's way more beautiful. The question that I want you to wrestle with, here's the question, here's your homework, and the question that I want you to ask God and talk to people about and, and to do that, and then I, I want you to reflect and be ready to answer this question, to come to dialogue with us about this question. How do we make Genesis more welcoming? That's your homework. Now, Genesis is not the building. It's not the church service, okay? So that, it's not the church service. Do you know what Genesis is? Yeah, it's, it's you who, are, who call yourselves family. You, you, so, and again, we say, hey, if it's your first time, you're a guest. If this is your second time, you're family, right? So, well, Joel, you're family. You're in, right? So it's a second time. So there it is. So I'm with it. How to make Genesis more welcoming. I want you to pray. I want you to ask God. I want him to tell you. How do, how do we make our community more welcoming? Our homes, our neighborhoods, right? Not just this church service. That's so small. That's an hour and a half a week. No, no, no. How, how do we make a community more welcoming? Ask God, ask each other, and come ready to answer that. Feel free to email me or the elders immediately. You can respond to the elders at elders.genesisthechurch. It's on the program. All right, I got to move on. I got like five minutes to hit this second one. That's the first question. The second one is this. I'm going to read you a few things about our Jesus Journey stuff when it came to reaching out. Because this one was really talking about our community inside, our demographics. This is about the out and about us moving in compassion and generosity and social justice. Because as a community, we responded really interesting with this. And so I want to read a few things. We, we have such a strong belief. This is a strength of ours. We believe that God desires to be actively involved in all the relationships that are part of our life. Awesome. So good, church. We believe that God wants to be actively involved in all of the relationships that are part of my, our lives. But here's where we struggle. So like 90% of all of us said that, but yet like half of us, if not less, struggle for that to really be a reality. And we said this. We struggle to see ourselves as an active partner with God in helping to restore God's desires to make the earth new again. 
We struggle to actively participate with God. We also said that we struggle to use our resources to help others experience the love and invitation of Jesus. We said we struggle to gladly and willingly give generously to people who are in need. This is not everybody, but of the survey, this is how we answered it. They were, we're struggling. We're struggling to know how to live this out. How do we live out our active participation with God and what he's doing in the world? We also said this about a strength of ours is what we believe. We said this, we believe serving the poor and the oppressed is an essential part of God's plan to restore God's justice in the world. It's essential. Like all of us said that. We agree. We agree. But here's what we said we struggled. And it was like 75% of us struggled with this. We struggled to take notice of people who are not always accepted and form relationships with them. That's pretty big, right? And we struggle to take practical actions against oppression and injustice. I don't know. So we struggle with those areas. We're struggling to know how to take action, how to take risk, how to be actively connected in what God is wanting to do in the world. We're cautious and we're staying in safe places. And when we do reach out to people in need, we're struggling to have confidence that God's going to show up and extend grace and help us towards healing or deliverance and change. We're struggling to have that confidence that God wants to do more. So that's the social justice one. We sense that God's inviting us towards this, but we say we're weak at it as a community. As a whole, there's a few of us who are strong, right? For Sue, you're sitting there saying, hey, I can do that pretty well. We need your help. Because the majority of us say we're, we're strong, we're weak at this. We're overwhelmed by the realities of this world, by the injustice in the world. We're overwhelmed by the needs that are around us and knowing how to step into them willingly and how to actively participate with what God is doing in the world. We're struggling there. And we want to step in. We want help. So here's the question that I want you to ask. Are you ready? What's hindering us from joining the mission in which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are engaged? See, God is actively engaged in pursuing people right now and actively engaged in, in things of injustice and those issues. He is actively engaged. So what's hindering us from joining, not making our own way, not doing your own thing, but joining in what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are doing. What's hindering you? All right, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna give you 30 seconds. I want you to pause and write down, what do, you, what do you think it is? What's hindering you from actively engaging or joining the mission in which the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are engaged?
Now, if you, if, you, um, if you feel comfortable, and just turn to the person next to him and share it with him. What, what do you think is hindering you? Take a second and share it with the person next to you. Okay, so I know I didn't give you much time to dialogue, right, with one another. But how about throw out, if you're comfortable, can anyone throw out a few of those, what those hindrances are? Agenda? Your own agendas, yeah. Yeah. Interrupt, yeah. Time? Selfishness. I wasn't afraid I wouldn't be asked to do more than I can for what they want. Oh, right. That we will not have what we need. Right? That we're going to be found with a deficiency. And we will get tanked in the end. Right? The self-sacrifice. Yeah. Boy, some huge hindrances aren't there. Grant, did you have one? Okay, so we have these hindrances. This is the question that I want you to wrestle with. I want you to write the, and email the elders. What's hindering us from engaging in what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are engaged in? It's hindering us. This is crucial for us to be able to answer as he's inviting us to join him. Here's some good news that I want to offer to you today. God wants you to join him his circle of invitation into what he's doing in the world. He wants to include you. He wants to invite you in to what he's doing to change the world. I'm not trying to be melodramatic here. I just don't know of anything more significant in this world of what to do with your time and how to be directed in life. I don't know of a better life than being pulled into the Trinitarian love of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit with others and getting to join in what God is engaged in the world, what the God who created this world is doing, and he wants to include you in those plans. He wants you to be a part. You are not excluded, but there's an invitation for you to be a part of, regardless of what you have felt, experienced, seen, or heard. We all must be a part or we don't make it, right? Would you wrestle with that question? The other good news that I want to leave us with today as we wrestle with it, we want to be a people who are caring for the marginalized in our own body. And so we ask that question, how can we be more welcoming 
It had to be more welcoming of those who are different, who are not a part of the mainstream when it comes to race or the way they're married or not married or being single. How can we be more welcoming in our neighborhoods, our families, our homes? And how can we, what is hindering us from joining with what God is doing in the world when it comes to his movement of love and justice and compassion? Those are the questions I want you to wrestle with. Here's the final thing as we take communion that I want to share with us. So Paul, when he was meeting with the first Corinthian church, well, when he was correcting the first Corinthian church, he corrected them on the way they took communion. And he said, you're doing this wrong and, uh, and God's not pleased with you because when you gather, it's actually more harmful than it is good. And he was challenging them because when they would get together and their communion was more of a meal, they would eat this meal together, but the rich would come early and those who have certain groups would come early and they would feast and get drunk and all this and then the poor and the others who are not a part of the groups wouldn't have any and they wouldn't be a part of the meal. Wouldn't be part of the communion of being the body of Christ. And Paul said, this is disturbing. Yes, actually the judgment of God is upon you in this. This text and when he encourages them um, he invites them to examine themselves. And I'm going to pick this up at verse 27, Emad, just to give you a heads up. In verse 27, it says this. So anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. It's in verse 33. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's table, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. So this text, when he's saying about, hey, uh, take this in a worthy manner. This is not about us looking at our lives and saying, is there any sin in my life? And do I measure up to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ? Let me answer that question for you. No. Are you worthy to eat and drink of the body and the blood of Jesus? Turn to the person next to you and tell them, you're not. <laughs> right? So it's not about getting yourself right to eat it. It's about Jesus who says, I'm going to make you right. By my sacrifice, I'm going to invite you to my table. I'll make you worthy. But to eat it right was to eat it together. That's what it was. About no brokenness and disunity. It was about that you would eat it together. So wait for each other. You can't do this alone. And yet, we make this communion thing with God alone. When we talk about caring for the marginalized, we talk about caring for that among us and those in that, or caring that in the world, you cannot do this alone. We have to do this together. And when we do it together, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection just in the same way when we eat. Together, we proclaim the Lord's death and resurrection together. This is what everything we're doing is grounded upon, Jesus Christ himself. And so today, the good news is saying, as we listen and we discern what God's inviting into it, you are not invited to do this alone. 
You are invited into the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian relationship to be included in what God is doing, and you're invited in with the people of God to join together in what God's doing, not alone. And so for us, just to kind of pause and receive that good news together, we're going to take communion. And we're going to eat and drink together. I'm going to invite you to come up. We're going to sing about the beautiful, reckless love of God that includes those on the margins. We're going to come, we're going to take the bread, we're going to take the juice, and we're going to hold on to them, and then we're going to eat them together as one body. One body proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus. Sound good, church? So I'm going to invite you up. And so, Father, would you kind of come? God, we thank you for that you invite us to your table, the table of Jesus Christ, based upon his love, based on your God, your price for making us worthy by shedding your blood, your broken body. We thank you that we are worthy by what you have paid for us. And you invite us to your table to eat. But you invite us to eat together as one with you. May we walk, God, a little bit more confidently today, not feeling like we're alone. May we hear your invitation to join you, and may we hear the invitation to join with one another. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Thank you, God, for this free gift. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Adrian and the team are going to play. I want to invite you forward to come up and grab the elements. 